Welcome, guys. Um, today's message um, is basically titled, Why Jesus Being Alive is Important, or, or Jesus Being Alive is Important. Why Him Being Alive is Important, and I'm going to come from a specific angle, though, because in the Bible, there's a lot of descriptive things. You know, have you ever seen, like, Jesus is our brother, right? Jesus is our friend. You've heard those examples before. Jesus is our father, right? There's a lot of different um, elements of relationship that are used to depict God toward man and how he interacts toward man, specifically in the new covenant, right? We see him in different situations where, where with Abraham, he was called a friend, right? God was Abraham's friend. So it was in that scenario that Abraham found God to be a friend. To, to walk with God hand in hand, right? Ever close to him. You see in situations where the children of Israel, they were lost and, and then they found God to be father. Or they found God to be a light, a pillar of light. They, they, they found God to be something specific. There's all these little different analogies, right? These different metaphors, these different examples of God's relationship with man. And this is one of the most coolest things because they're, they're there for a different purpose. If you're struggling, right, in a certain area of your life and you're like, man, like, I don't know what to do. Like, this is, this is overwhelming. And then Jesus comes as a father, right? God comes to you as father and it, it, it blesses you because you're struggling with issues of guidance, you know, then Jesus can come as friend because you're struggling with issues as, as, as just personal and, and you just feel alone and you feel you feel by yourself. Right. And, and, and he begins to speak to you just as a friend. There's different ways that God will manifest and demonstrate himself in relationship toward us. OK, but the first and foremost example in the Bible is that God creates a covenant with man called marriage okay marriage we look at man and we see man and we see mankind and i'm not an, i'm not married so i'm not an expert in marriage but this is the beauty is that marriage doesn't come from what we see in men marriage on the earth is a shadow of something heavenly romans 1:20 for the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. So the things that are made demonstrate to us spiritual truths. Things that are eternal are understood and seen by things that are made. So this, the Bible gives us a clear lining of thinking of, of being able to use earthly marriage, what we see in earthly marriage, as a way to understand our relationship with God. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about the, the holy matrimony between God and man. Okay, and it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the most beautiful things you could, you could ever imagine. You can, and you'll be able to understand, I think, by the end that why God um, hated divorce or hates divorce, as the, as, as the, as the Bible says. You see this, uh, the Conquer Church sick, um, logo is actually cool because um, we discussed it and I was talking to, uh, I think, uh, my aunt. And, um, and, you know, it kind of represents like an eternity here, right? Like, like two rings, right? Being, being, almost being married to God, 
but in an eternal way, right? Here and here and and, and Conquer Church is about we are in the the best holy matrimony that there ever was because we have a relationship with God, right? Where we're the bride, the church is the bride, the gathering of the church is the bride and God is the groomsman or he's the husband, right? And having that kind of husband, right, is is such a beautiful thing. So I'm going to use some of this as an example, as a type But I want to start um, our lesson today in Hosea 3. I'm going to jump through some verses in Hosea. So Hosea 3, 1. And Hosea is a story of a prophet. This man is a prophet of God. So he's called of God to prophesy to the people of Israel. Now, Hosea's story is a very unique story in the Bible because um, there's, there's actually no story that's really like his story. God called him to actually marry a, um, what you would call a, a prostitute. God told him to marry a prostitute for the sake of communicating a prophetic message. God wanted to use this man. This man willingly submitted his life to God to such a degree where he obeyed the call of God to marry a prostitute so that his story could be used as, as, as it could be used as an example of how God's love for us works. Because you would have a man who would be faithful and dedicated to God, the, 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 the perfect husband in a way, and that you would have the, the, the bride, which would be a representation of the people of God's creation, right? Constantly committing adultery. This is, this is why the first commandment is don't have any other gods before me. It's basically saying, don't make anyone else your husband. Don't make anyone else first. Don't think you can become one with anyone else. That is not my will for you. My will for you is to be one with me, is to be in unison with me, is to be connected with me. And so you find in Hosea um, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So God commanded this prophet in the, in the context of the Old Testament, okay? So it's very much a demand of God on Hosea. And Hosea obeyed this demand. To marry this adulteress, he marries the adulteress, but he says to love her with the love that is according to the love that the Lord has for Israel. And what's at this point in time, this is kind of towards more towards Jesus's time. It's beginning in the, in the concept of time, right? You have Adam and you're, you're getting to Jesus. And throughout that whole time, what God is saying is there's an example of how I've loved Israel, of how I've been faithful to Israel, my chosen people, even though they haven't been faithful to me. And I want you to love her at using how I've loved Israel in the past. And I want you to love her that way, where even when she's unfaithful, you remain faithful. Because he's going to use this example in this story as a message to send the people. Now, we understand they're not in the covenant of grace in this time. And if you go to Hosea 5, and you start at verse um, 3, and it says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, Thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredom is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. 
And the pride of Israel does testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah shall also fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. And he hath withdrawn himself from them. So what happens here is that God withdraws himself from Israel. God withdraws himself from Israel. Ooh. Maybe something's wrong. Yeah. No, it's because they just came in and they want their elders. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. They're like, mommy, daddy, they're mommy. It's okay. Um, it's okay. So, he withdraws himself. This is God, okay? This is God. Withdrawing himself from his people. Because of their sin. So this is how, like, I've heard messages preach like this, okay? Using this story. If you're in sin, look, God's going to withdraw from you. God's going to pull back from you. God's going to go away from you. God's going to turn away from you because you're, you've just been in utter failure. You've sinned. You've lied. You've cheated. You've made other things more important than me. You've focused on so many other things. You haven't made my kingdom, my will, any priority to you. And in turn, you have made other things of focus, which are sin, which are, which are going after other nations and following their ways and following their gods and sacrificing the, 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 the way that they sacrifice, offering your kids, offering things that were supposed to be offered to the Lord. So, moving forward, Hebrews. So, this is the old marriage. Sorry. So, this is the old marriage. And the old marriage is a marriage where if you are not a good wife, okay, what happens? Imagine, imagine... If you enter a marriage and every time you fell, you get the threatening of being left. Imagine that every time you fall, every time you fell, you get the threat of being left. This is under the law. So they were going to be treated according to the law. But if you go to the new covenant, there's, there's something interesting here. Okay. And the new covenant is Hebrews 13.5. And it says this, and I'll just read it. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Let it be without lust. And be content with such things as you have. So be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay. The basis is different. One basis is under the law. Where the law demands from you, and if you don't perform, you receive the just reward of the law, which is death. You sin, you die. You sin, you're separated from God. You sin, you're separated from God. That's the law. That's the covenant of the law. But under grace, it's different. You make a mistake. The focus that you need to have is drawing closer. It's understanding that I'm still not going to leave you. I'm still not going to forsake you and I'm still not going to turn away. 
And even in the story, the story, even though it's under the context of the of the Old Testament, um, if you go to um, Hosea six, and you go to uh, six verse six, and it says this: For I desired mercy, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they, they have they have dealt treacherously against me. So they dealt treacherously against God. Okay. God didn't de- desire their sacrifices to make up for it. It wasn't enough. The sacrifices of the law weren't enough to make up for their failures. That's what he's saying. Your burnt offerings don't make up for your failures. But I have desired mercy. So God desired mercy, but, ju- but justly, he couldn't give you mercy. He couldn't give them mercy and still be just. So they had to pay the toll of sin, the consequence of sin. They had to go through a cleansing, a purifying, where if you go through the story and you see what God is going to do to his own people, because of their sin, they deserved the just reward of sin, which is the bad consequence, which is scatter their people, burn down their altars, burn their cities, burn their supplies, Get rid of it all. So under that covenant, that's how it worked. Imagine that, imagine that as a first marriage. Okay? Imagine that as a first marriage. Because before Christ, even right now, if you don't have Christ, you're under that marriage. You're married to the law. The law is for them that don't believe. Multiple scriptures that, that very, very much clarify that. You can go in Timothy, you can go in Romans, you can find scriptures that clarify that. Okay? But it's for them that are without the law. So that's the marriage we were all under before Christ. We were all under the taskmaster, the, 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 the demanding husband of the law. Where when you failed, if you didn't make the coffee right, right? Oh, not hot enough. Oh, too cold. Right? Never good enough. Just never good enough. Every aspect of what you do is not good enough. Because you're under the elements of the law. You're under the taskmaster of the law. You're under the husband of the law. The law is a husband. The Bible describes the law as a husband. Okay? But this is the thing, is that if we go into the scriptures, okay, and... and Romans 8, 2. You find something very unique here in Romans 8, 2. In Romans 8, 2 says this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes me free from the law of sin and death. There's two laws here, okay? Law of sin and death, one side. Law of life. Law of the spirit. The law of the spirit, the basis of the law of the spirit, which is what we're under now, is no condemnation. I'm not condemning you anymore. Okay? The law of sin and death is I'm still condemning you for your sin. The law of the spirit says your sin's already been paid for. The law of sin and death says you have to pay for your own sin. Okay? So when you're under the elements of the law as your husband, you pay for everything you do wrong. You pay for it. You pay for it. You, you, you owe it as a debt to God. So it's the ministry of no mercy 
under the law, and it's a ministry of mercy under grace, where God deals with us in mercy. That even when you mess up, you may not receive the full consequence of what you've done. Enough for God to deal with you and correct you and lead you to life, right? God's correction and dealings are, are to lead us to life. If you read, go back in Hebrews 12. His corrections are to lead us to life. He tells us about correction before he says he never leaves us and forsakes us in 13. He tells us that I'm going to deal with you and you're going to live. But as a result of you living, I'm also going to never leave you and forsake you. But he makes sure both of those things are in there. This, this, this security, but also I'm going to still deal with you, right? So we're not saying that, oh, you're, you're devoid of any consequence for doing the wrong things. If you do the wrong things, there's a lot of natural consequences to those wrong things. Now, a lot of people think grace is this freelance to just do whatever they want, but we already know that that's not the case, right? So, we're going to go to Romans 7. Romans 7, 1 through 4. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So this, this is unique here. The law is binding to a person as long as he lives. So there's no way we can go to Christ. Okay? There's no way. There's, it's an impossibility. Because as long as the law's alive, and as long as you're alive, you're married to it. We're married to the law. As long as both elements are alive. Amen? And you see why I say amen. For a married woman is bound by, her, by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. According, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. The context of this isn't talking about marriage. It's talking about being married to the law. It's using marriage as an example of how we are in relationship with the law. And it's saying in order for us to get out, somebody has to die. Legally, someone has to die. And usually it's us. So the law lives on as the husband and he keeps marrying human beings. You, become a, you come into the world, you're a baby, the law marries you. The law marries you. Now, Genesis 2, 24, um, this is where marriage starts. So it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. Um, the word joined here means to be cooked together cooked together. That's the kind of unity. So imagine getting vegetables like some, some um, zucchini, right? And getting some carrots or whatever and cutting them up and mixing them up. Once you mix them together and you cook them, right? Or if you get like a steak and you put like olive oil and, and, or you put like seasonings on it, you can't really separate the seasoning from the steak anymore. It's a very difficult task if you try. But the idea here is that when a man comes with a woman together in, their, in, in marriage, they're cooked together, right? It's like two raw elements being cooked together. That's, that's the imagery. So he's, he's joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So if you become cooked, 
You don't just become uncooked and then go back to two raw materials. Once you're cooked, you're cooked. Right? Some of us, some people out there are burnt. <laughs> you're on fire. But, um, so, if it's talking about law, marriage, and the law, let's go back a little, back a little and understand that. Right? So, that's the, that's the foundation of marriage. It's not in the law of Moses. Notice that. Marriage is initiated in Genesis, in the beginning of time, before the law ever comes into play. So here, here, here goes Numbers 37 and 8. And her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it. It's talking about her vow. Then her vow shall stand, and her agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, it's talking about her vow, he shall make void her vow, and she took, and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. So the only way you can be released from marriage is not getting married, is if your husband doesn't take in your words, your vow. But once that vow is said and the husband agrees and you guys agree and you come into covenant, right? There's no tearing that apart. It's meant that you are one. It's meant to be that you are one. The initiation between God and man is, is, is God's desire was that he was one. He was one with mankind. When they sinned, they separated from God. So what did he do? He went through a process in which he established a covenant with Abraham, a new covenant with Isaac. Every, every person that he adds on to the, to the scene adds a different element to God's relationship, right? He has Noah. Then he adds Abraham. Then that's when circumcision comes in. Right? Then Isaac. Then Jacob. Because he establishes a new covenant with Jacob. That's why it never it, it separates them. So there's a covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? Then Moses. Then Moses. He doesn't establish a covenant with Joseph. But he keeps Joseph under the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's very, it's very, it's very very simplified, but there's elements that are added to the covenant. Then the, an entirely new covenant, right, comes into play with Moses, where he gives them the law. He delivers them the law. And we understand now, people of grace, that the law is to make us aware that we're sinners, that we have need of Christ. So Romans 6.22 says this. This is the context right before it talks about Romans 7, where it talks about the marriage, right? The, the, the using the law that you were married to the law. And the only way someone can break free from the law is if they die. The only way a husband and wife can be broken apart, right, is if one dies. Or else if, you, if you're still alive and you go and you try to be with someone else, it's adultery. If you go and try to be in a covenant of grace while you're under the covenant of the law, right, you, you're, it's adultery. This is why what Jesus went through is so important and so it's so perfectly in line with God's plan. So Romans 6.22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, its end, eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then it says, or do you not know, brothers? So you see it's a link. 22, um, 623 is the last verse. Everyone says, for the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And they usually isolate that verse. They usually isolate it. 
It's not isolated. It continues on to 7-1. 623 is in correspondence with 7-1. They're together. They're not separated because it says, or do you not know, brothers? So it's giving this as the, what is the free gift? It's a new marriage. It's a new marriage. The free gift is a new marriage, is a new opportunity to be able to be married to God without the law. It's a beautiful picture, but it's always kind of like taken away, right, from the context, from its flow. So now, check this out, Romans 7, 4. So we're going to continue on in Romans 7. Likewise, my brothers, you have also, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. It means have children for God. Have children for God. Fruit for God. It's showing, it's in the context of marriage. Fruit, fr- be fruitful and multiply. So we understand that, that having a relationship, being in this new covenant, receiving this free gift, by natural result, will bear fruit. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passion aroused by the law. Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So the law stirred up death in us. It demanded from us what we could not give to it. It was the, it was the, it was the taskmaster of, of, of the law, just like the children of Israel in Egypt. Where, they are de- where you're like a slave and you're demanded. You're demanded to do things far beyond your capability. Consistently. You fell. Oh, here's another task. You still haven't even completed the first one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. It's constant demand. It's constant demand. It's never good enough. It's never satisfying. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we have to be careful in modern Christianity that we don't look at God that way anymore. Where it's, oh, what we do is never enough for him. When what Jesus did was perfectly enough for God and more to satisfy his desire and need for righteousness. So it says, but now are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. Before Christ, we could not be intimate. Before Christ, we could only be intimate with the law. And being intimate with the law brings an awareness that you're a sinner and that God is not on your side. Before Christ, you could only be intimate with the law. You could only have a relationship with the demands of the law. And what that produced is more sin. So it's crazy how we think if we could preach disciplines and we preach, oh, you have to do this and this and that. If we have to preach that and monitor those behaviors, then the heart's not transformed. We spent the whole week talking about transformation of the heart this week, right? So when we, when we think about it, that means the heart's not transformed. This is why when Jesus came to the Pharisees, what did he say about their hearts? They're dull of hearing. They're like empty sarcophaguses that are old and, 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 and withered and, and cobwebs inside and they're dead in their heart. And that's not what God desired. So... He wasn't satisfied with this marriage to the law. If he was, he wouldn't have done away with it. 
So if we go to um, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it away, nailing it to his cross. He nailed the law. The law died when he nailed it to the cross. He died nailing the law to the cross, which means the law's dead. And if the law is dead under the law, the only way you can remarry, okay, under the law, is if your spouse dies. This is the like, ultimate typology of, of, of our relationship with God. This is super important because we understand that the law is done away with, right? Which means the death to the law so that now as we live, it's an example. Now that as we live, we live, okay, now I'm single. Spiritually single. What do I do? Well, you're, you get remarried to Christ. You get married to Christ. This is, this is, a, this is a beautiful thing. You know, see what I'm talking about right now. So, we now have a new husband legally. And the children that our new marriage bears is love, joy, peace, temperance. This is why, okay, marriage supersedes the law of Moses. Where is it found? Where is marriage first found? In Genesis supersedes the law, right? So if they become one and then because of their sin they've, we've been in adultery the whole time. We've been in adultery the whole time. Because guess what? What's the, what's the tree? The knowledge of good and of evil. What's the law? The knowledge of good and of evil. So we've been, from the beginning of time, God's plan was to show man that they're in adultery. And he's been faithful enough to make friends with Abraham. To speak to Noah. To speak to Isaac. To speak to Jacob. To speak to Joseph. To speak to Moses. To speak to the prophets. Isaiah. Jeremiah. David, Solomon, to speak to these men in spite of at the very base of their relationship being theologically in adultery. Until finally he does away with the one, the husband, okay, dies because Jesus, the perfect man, finally satisfies the husband, the law, fulfills every job, every tittle. It's done away with. This is why the Bible says those who have the fruit of the Spirit, right? We're in, the, we're in a relationship with Christ. We bear children, love, patience, joy, meekness. Against such, there's no law. It's having Jesus as your husband will make you the most fruitful, okay, to his cause. Now, this is, this is the part that... I'll, I'll use this to wrap up. Why is Jesus being alive so important? Okay. Marriage is for ever, right? Forever. 
So if we're married to Christ, here's a unique thing that we have to realize. He's alive forever. He's alive forever. So what does that mean? We're married to him forever. If as his bride, he wants to present himself, his bride, spotless. Have you, have you ever thought about that phrasing? He wants to present himself, the bride, spotless. Does it say present yourself spotless? When he uses that language in the marriage? No. Doesn't, he doesn't use that language. You can't present yourself spotless. So we have the opposite of the husband of the law. Where he's the one that comes with the right temperature copy. He's the one that provides, keeps you safe, watches over you. Right? Sends security guards called angels to make sure that you're safe in all your dealings and all your, you know, everything you do. He's the one that gives you peace with his words of, of affirmation that stand the test of time. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Gives words that a bride can stand on and not be insecure because he lives forever. He's forever alive. Jesus is forever alive as our husband the moment we receive him. And it's his job. We have to let him do his job of making us spotless to present us to himself. It's that same concept of propitiation in all aspects. Is that God only accepts what he provides for himself. If God doesn't make you holy, right? then you can't present yourself holy. God has to make you holy so that when you come and he presents you before himself, he presents you before himself. What does that mean? He's the one doing all the work. This is the basis before you pray for blessings, before you pray for God to help you, before your circumstances and you look at your circumstances and you're like, I don't know if God can help. If I don't know if God can actually make this happen, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if, if God is really on my side. Come back to the fact that you're married to Christ and you are his bride as the foundation before asking of God anything. Because once you, once you reconcile this, once you get this right, this belief right, your faith will be immovable because you will ask as if a wife asks a husband, hey, can you throw out the trash, right? You're going to throw out the trash, right? You ask of God with that kind of faith being his spotless bride that he's presented to himself. He's presented you spotless to himself. Isn't that such a beautiful thing? Jesus is our, the law was our first husband, right? Okay. The law was the first husband, according to Romans 7. We're married to the law, a demanding husband. Do, do, do. 
don't do, you shall not, you shall not, you shall do, you shall do, you shall not, you shall not, you shall do. A constant demand. But look how good God is. Is that he takes not you and kills you. Okay, He doesn't take you out. But in order to be remarried, someone has to die. So who dies? The law. Colossians 2. Write this verse down. Memorize this verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He nailed the law to the cross. Therefore, the law is dead. You're no longer married to the law. Keep that in your heart. And now you're married to Christ so that he can present. And I'm saying it again, and I just want it to stick with you this week because this is the foundation of, of any of your askings of God. If you need anything from God, come back to the fact that you're no longer married to the law. We're under the law. If you didn't perform, you can't ask. You can't ask of God anything. But since you're not married to the law, the law's dead. You're married to Christ now, which is a husband that never dies. The, the law died. This husband never dies. That means you're married to him forever. He will never stop loving you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And not... Not, 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 not because, oh, he just, he just can in spite of your sin. He does it legally. You're legally, by technicality, justified before God. You're right with God. Your sin is washed away. Anything that's holding you back from believing God for anything is already been dealt with on the cross. So when you ask, ask in faith of the relationship that you have now, right? He's alive forever. He will not abandon. That's why no one can pluck you out of his hands. That's why people say, oh, this eternal security message, oh, like that God will, God's never going to leave you. It's going to make people go out and sin. No, because when you're married to Christ, we go back. He will present you as a spotless bride to himself. Isn't that a good God? That he doesn't require you to present yourself spotless. He presents you spotless to himself. So when he says you're holy, what does that mean? You're holy. He's declared you holy. Is it because he swept your sin under the rug and you can be holy now? No, it's because he paid and he lived holy on your behalf so that as he lived holy, you receive his holiness that he lived, right? That he lived holy. He's alive forever, living holy before God, okay? That's the place for us. That's our place. He made that place for us so that when God sees us, holy forever. In that security, security in a marriage is, is the most important thing. If you constantly walk away from someone and say, well, I don't really, you know, that behavior, it makes me want to walk away. So I might walk away because I don't know if I can tolerate that, right? But you already made a commitment to be in a relationship. If you do that to someone, you drive them insane. You'll drive them insane and it'll produce insecurity, which will produce bad behavior. So I don't know where this concept that if all we preach security, people are just going to go out and do whatever. No, the more secure that you are in your relationship with God, the more you will operate in faith. Because you won't hesitate to ask. 
Did Jesus rebuke his disciples for asking for too little? Yes, he rebuked them for asking for too little. Did he ever rebuke them for asking for too much? Oh, you know, you crossed the line this one. That's a little much, Peter. You're not going to walk on water today. No, he didn't. Oh, that's one too many fishes, you know. It's one too many. I think we got to cut back. You know, there's back at the office in heaven, there's a, there's a limited supply. So I'm going to need you to ask for just a little bit less and ask according to how well behaved you are. You might as well just do that. Is that, is that how he dealt with us? Is that how he dealt with his disciples? No. What was his rebuke? You're asking for too little. You're asking for way too little. He even praised two people. The two people in the Bible that had great faith were two non-Jews. And you know why he told them, you have great faith? Because they asked in spite of knowing that they didn't, couldn't partake of anything he had. And they still believed that they could receive it. In spite of knowing that they're not Jews. In spite of knowing that under the law it disqualifies them from receiving anything from God. Right? But they had great faith to supersede that. And he's like, you guys have great faith. The Canaanite woman, the Roman centurion, you guys have great faith. So when we think about asking, if you have a prayer... If you have something in your mind, you have something in your heart that you're asking of God, right? And I'm wrapping up with this. If you have something in your heart and mind that you're asking of God, and you're struggling to have faith, and you're struggling to believe, and you're struggling for answers, and you're struggling, and you're struggling, and you're frustrated, and you're tired, and you're bent out of shape, okay? You need to come back. Where is my relationship with God founded on? It's eternal. God eternally wants to be with you. And on his end, he's not leaving. He's not leaving. He's not walking away. Even if you're, I know we have friends that will leave us if, we, if we're bad, if we treat them bad, right? If we, if we, if we do something that discerns their trust, we have friends that will leave us. Right. If we have, if we have, and that's the human condition, right? We have, we work with everyone's conditional. But this relationship, which is the most important relationship, is founded on something that'll never change. Is how valuable Jesus' death was, and how much it actually paid for the sins of the entire world, and that when you believe on it, you enter into a relationship with God. That never changes. He doesn't change his mind about you. He's on your side. He's legally on your side. You're legally going to win the case. And I position it from a point of legal. Because if I just tell you God loves you. Right? But what about my sin? What about this feeling I have? What about this, these things I've been doing? What about my past? Right? Imagine that, we, that's ha- that happens. But if we show the legality of this new covenant that we enter in with God and this new marriage that we're a part of, we show the legality of it, right? If you know that you're legally 
free from, from the, the judgment of a crime, how happy would you be to walk out of that court? Right? You'd be pretty happy. So, this is why it's the law, it's like the law of double jeopardy, right? You can't pay. You already paid. You're in a new marriage. Don't forget it. Don't forget that you're married to God. Your life is not your own. You're one with Christ. He's you. You're no longer light. It's him in you, living. It's his life. Let's give it back to him. Because he will make the best decisions. He, he'll provide for himself if it's his life, right? He'll provide for himself. Like, think about that. God will provide for himself. If God lives in you, he will provide for himself. Which means, as a byproduct, you'll be provided for. It's not like this crazy science, right? It's very simple, but it's been complicated, misconstrued. And we tease people with security and saying, well, how, how horrible would it be if, if, if God was like, well, today you're not good, so let's, let's take a break, you and I. Is God, is God like that? When I learned about that this is the God I serve, I couldn't tell you how happy I was because I had a hard time believing in the other version. I had a real hard time believing in the other version where I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I could, I could serve a God that will change his mind about me every day based off my behavior. I don't know that I could because do you, know how, do you know how insane that would drive a person? Do you know how many people are driven insane by that very thought? No. This is important. This is an important Bible study lesson. So this is important for you to be able to teach to other people. To bring people into security. Into knowing that they're wanted, that they're loved. And that God is very real and he's very present. Very real and very present. Never forget that. So, 